0: Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. My wife, Corey, and I have uh, four kids. We have three sons, and then we have our youngest is a daughter, uh, and the middle of those sons, Branson is nine years old. Branson is a cool kid. He is a great, great young man. We love him. He's a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun with him. But one of the things that Branson does that is so funny to us is he is a pack rat. He like gathers anything he can find, anything he's ever touched, anything he's ever seen. Now has sentimental value. So he grabs a hold of it. He'll be walking along, he'll pick up a rock, and he's now gonna save that rock forever because he found it on such and such day, which has sentimental value for some reason. He picks up a bottle cap, he picks up all these things, every school project, every school paper. And I'm not talking about like the big projects, I'm talking about like his math homework. Like, mom, you gotta keep this, you gotta keep this forever. Like, it is so sentimental. Like, he is a pack rat. Now, he is super organized, he's the most organized child we have. So he has these little bags and these little boxes and these little cases that he has put all of his things in and they're stored and they're stacked under his bed or they're stacked in his closet or they're stacked somewhere else in the house that he knows exactly where all of these things are. He's a pack rat because everything has sentimental value. Now, one night we were uh, flipping through the channels. He was sitting on the floor in front of us. We were watching TV, just flipping through the channels. And we passed uh, the channel where the show Hoarders was on. I don't know if you've seen this. It is frightening, the things that people um, hoard in their houses. But like, um, we're watching. So we stopped. There was something on the screen that just captured our attention. I have no idea what it was. And so we stopped and we watched the show. We were watching it a little bit. And during one of the commercial breaks, Branson, with all of the sensitivity in his heart and a little bit of fear, turned and looked at us and said, oh, no, am I a hoarder? And I said, yes, yes. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Now, there's lots of reasons that he likes to take these things and to treasure them because he's, he's kind of the middle son now, we've got four, so there's no exact middle, but he is very much that stereotypical middle child in a lot of regards. Um, I don't say that. We don't label our kids in that way to kind of keep them or, you know, box them in or whatever. But he's that middle child. He, he, he is a peacemaker uh, to every sense of that word. But also, he kind of likes to have something that's his own. You know, he doesn't want to feel like he's always following in his brother's footsteps. He doesn't want to feel like he's always sharing with his younger brother, or whatever. So he likes things, and so he finds these things, and they, they held sentimental value for him. So he began gathering these things and storing these things and saving these things because he treasured these things for whatever reason. I don't treasure those things. I don't find value in them, but he does. And so for him, that's really important. And so today we're going to talk about that same idea. Maybe you don't, maybe you're not a pack rat, maybe you don't store things, maybe you don't pick up rocks and take them into your house for some random reason, but we're going to talk about this idea of treasure today. And when I talk about treasure, I am definitely talking about money. Now if you were here last week, I set you up and I told you that today we were going to talk about something that people hate to talk about in church And I I understand that. I know that I don't know everybody in the room. I don't know everybody's story, faith story, church history, church background. And so some of you are very comfortable with me talking about the idea of money others of you it makes you so uncomfortable like you just you're getting nauseous right now thinking about me talking about this because you've seen it miss like totally misused and abused and you've seen the church or other people in the church they do things that you don't agree with or they talk about money in a certain way or they try to position money and you and God in certain ways that you don't agree with but here's what I would ask of you today give me the benefit of the doubt I'm asking you if you know me well or you don't know me well just to give me the benefit of the doubt for the next few minutes because I promise you my intent today is not to give you my opinion. It's not to make you feel guilty. It's not to try to persuade you or manipulate you in any way. My whole objective today is to go to God's word and to determine what God's word says about the way that you and I are intended to handle our money and the way that we are intended to honor God with our money. Now, here's what you need to know, okay? I, I, I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. And at the end of our service, we take up the offering. We, we pass the buckets and we encourage you to give. But on days like this, I do not get commission if the offering is higher because I've like talked about money. Like they, they don't go, hey, good job. You get a bonus today because you talked about, I don't, I, that's not how this works. Okay. It's just my objective every single time I stand up to teach from God's Word about the various things that affect our lives. And so some days we're talking about the ways that we should live and the behaviors and the way we should talk and the ways that we should treat one another. But today, very specifically, we're going to talk about money. And the Bible speaks a lot about money. The Bible talks a lot about money. When when you look through the Bible, about 500 times the Bible talks about prayer. You say, well, that's a lot. 500 times about prayer, that's a lot. But 2,300 times the Bible talks about money. So you're talking about four to five times the amount of times that the Bible is talking about prayer. It talks about money or our possessions and the ways that we engage those possessions and how we handle it. When Jesus was walking the earth in the New Testament, we have recorded his life and ministry. He told stories, he told parables. And the four gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have recorded these parables, these stories. There were 36 of them that he told as he walked around and did ministry. And of those 36, 16 of them We're about money or possessions or our attitudes toward money. One out of every ten verses in the New Testament talks about our money or our attitude toward money. So this is a subject that the Bible speaks to pretty clearly. And it speaks to in a lot of different ways and a lot of different approaches. And so today my hope is that I can go to God's word and help you and I find the truth from God's word about what he believes about money. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. This is a a verse that you have probably heard before, even if you're not a Christian or someone of faith. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Jesus is teaching in his earliest sermon about the things that you and I should know about and should prioritize. He teaches on prayer and he teaches on fasting and he teaches about the things, the ways that we should handle ourselves with other people. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, he says this For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Also, now when I read this, it's always interesting to me that he approaches it from the end. He doesn't start at the beginning and say, evaluate your heart. Search your heart. Think about your heart. Envision what your heart looks like. Now, take that heart and go and put your treasure where the things you value. Go and do that. Go and, go and find the, the, the passions of your heart, the emotions, the things that you gravitate towards. Now, once you've identified that, go and put your treasure in those places. He says, no, 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 no. He says, here's what you need to do. Print out your bank statement. He says, go and print out your credit card statement and look at the places that you spend your money. Where have you put your treasure? What is it that you have spent your money on? I think you could even expand this and you could print out your calendar for the last 30 or 60 days. And you could go, where have I spent my time? Where are the places that I'm investing my time? Where are the places that I'm investing my resources? And if you go to the end of that, you go to where did I spend my money, where did I spend my time, and then work backwards, he says, that's where your heart is at. Your heart is in the place that you have written checks to. Your heart is in the place that you have paid cash to. Your heart is in the place that you have spent your time at. And so he says, wherever your treasure is, There will your heart be also. He's saying there's something about the way that we handle our money. We handle the resources that have been entrusted to us. There's something about the way that we handle those things that actually reveals something about our heart. It's not just our interests. It's just like, oh, this is my hobby or, oh, this is something I want. It says, no, 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 it's even deeper than that. It's about your heart. It's the way that you are revealing your heart. Now, when we talk about money in the church, we most often point to a a word that is sometimes misunderstood, or even if it's understood, it's often kind of used in in a negative light for some folks, and it's the word tithe. When we talk in the church about giving, when we talk about money, we start eventually getting around to the idea of the tithe. Now, the tithe, the word tithe, means tenth, means 10%. And throughout the Bible, and there's a couple places we're going to go in a few minutes to show this, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the idea of tithing is mentioned. The tithe, the 10%, the tenth, is what we believe God is instructing us to give back to something. To give a tenth somewhere out of the increase that has been given to our lives. So if you were a farmer, if you had uh, two acres worth of crops, you would give 0.2 of those acres of crops away. If you had 10 cows, you would give one of those cows away. Whatever the increase that you experience, you give a tenth of that increase to something, which we'll talk about in a minute. And so when we talk about the tithe, what we're talking about is the way that we give a tenth of what God Is commanding of us. Now, when we start talking about the tithe, I mentioned there's a couple places in Scripture that reference this, talk about this, and the first one that I want us to look at is in Genesis chapter 14. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 14 is a place that we're going to look at here the story of a man named Abram. Abram is the same guy that we would later know as Abraham. We sing about him, Father Abraham. We talk about his story. There's some really amazing stories out of the life of Abraham. And I love so much about his stories. But in Genesis 14, what we've seen is that he has gone to rescue his cousin Lot. After they separated, he goes to rescue his cousin Lot from uh, the, the sinful place that he was living. And after he rescues Lot, there's some possessions that are stolen. There's some things that have happened. It's a really bad deal. And he comes back together. He's rescued Lot. He's he's going to rescue the possessions. He comes back together here, and there is a conversation. There's some characters in this story, Melchizedek. uh, There is uh, the king of Sodom. There are some different people that are a part of this, the king of Salem even. They come together, and here is a conversation that is had in Genesis 14. "'And he blessed him and said, "'Blessed be Abram by God Most High, "'possessor of heaven and earth, "'and blessed be God Most High, "'who has delivered your enemies into your hand. "'And Abram gave him,' the one that's talking to him, "'this is Melchizedek, he gave him a tenth of everything. "'And the king of Sodom said to Abram, "'Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself.' But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let these three names here that I'm not going to pronounce right now take their share. All right? So what you have is you have a conversation. Thank you. I'm glad you paid attention right there. Um, You have a conversation that's happening between Abram and the folks here in this story. He's gone out. He's brought those possessions back, and he's giving the possessions back. He's giving a tenth to the high priest. So it's like, okay, there is some possessions that are uh, rightfully mine. I went and got them, but I'm giving a tenth to the priest. And he says, well, you, you keep the goods Just give me the people. He says, no, 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 I wouldn't actually accept anything from you because I see God as my provider. I don't want to do anything where you could say that I am the one who made Abram rich. No, 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 so I'm giving away all of these possessions. I'm giving away what I believe needs to go to you, and I'm just going to keep the guys, and I'm going to keep the thing, and the guys will keep what they have eaten. And so there is something here in the truth of this story That even before we get to the law, now the law comes later in the Old Testament, and that's a lot of places that people point back to related to tithing. So, well, that's an Old Testament law. Well, there is a law in the book of Leviticus that talks about tithing, and it's actually mentioned in several places about grain and the things that you tithe and your livestock. And so that's important. We'll get to that in a minute. But even before the law, we have the book of Genesis, and we see a tithe, a tenth given out of worship and out of reverence to the authority over Abram. This precedes the law. Later in the book of Genesis, we see a guy by the name of Jacob. We see Jacob here, he has a dream, and he wakes up from the dream... And he says this in Genesis 28, 20 through 22. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, I will, and will give me the bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Again, the book of Genesis preceding the Old Testament law that God gave to the children of Israel so that they would be set apart from those that were living around them, this precedes them. This is a foundational principle of those who are following after God. This is a place and a way that they were honoring God by saying, Listen, if I'm going to recognize God as provider, then I want to honor God and his provision by giving back to him. Jacob says, listen, if you give this to me, if you help me to find provision, if you help me to find peace, then what I give back to you is I give you a tenth of everything that I have. God is not asking for 100% of your money. He's just asking for 10% of it related to this principle. And so then we do come to the law. The book of Leviticus is the place, again, where God lays out these statutes, these edicts for his people to follow so that people would look at them and know that they were set apart, there was something different about them from the other people that lived in that place, in that day and time. And so in Leviticus 27 and 30, it says this, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Every tithe, every tenth of the land, whether it's the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. The command here is that in any form... The tithe belongs to God. If that form is the seed that's going into the ground, a tenth of that belongs to the Lord. If it is the fruit that is coming out of the ground, a tenth of that belongs to the Lord. There is in this passage an understanding that it is a tenth of everything, not just a tenth of the increase. So God is saying to his people, listen, I'm going to give you later instructions here. I'm going to give you even more specific instructions, but you need to understand that I'm asking for a tenth so that the people that serve me, the priests, will have what they need to conduct the business of the ministry of the temple so that then you can live off of the rest for you and for your family. And so perhaps the most famous verse in the scriptures related to tithing lays that out even further. It's in the book of Malachi. We don't read the book of Malachi a lot, but Malachi is one of the minor prophets. He uh, speaks for God. He, his name means my messenger or messenger of God. And so he's speaking for God to the children of Israel about their kind of lax moral and social living. And so he's talking to the children of Israel. In Malachi chapter 3, it expounds on these principles that we've seen in Genesis and Leviticus and, and even in other places we didn't deal with today where there is the idea of the tithe and the tenth. And now what Malachi is doing is saying, listen, you understand this principle, but I want to challenge you on even the way that you're applying and living out this principle. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10 say this. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Now Malachi 3 talks about the storehouse. The storehouse in the Old Testament would have been the equivalent of the New Testament temple. It would have been the place that the priests would come. They gathered together the things that the people were bringing. They gathered together the grain offerings. They gathered together the livestock so that they could make sacrifice yearly at this place for and on behalf of the children of Israel. It was the place that you brought those things so that the priest could administer the blessings of God towards his people. And so the storehouse was the place that they were bringing the tenth. And, and he's saying, you're robbing God because you are not bringing your tithe to the storehouse. Now, just everybody perk up here for a second. And remember, you're giving me the benefit of the doubt here, all right? And if the person beside you is not, elbow them right now, okay? So they're bringing their tithe to the storehouse. If they had herds, they had livestock that gave birth, they gave a tenth to the storehouse. If they had any type of harvest, they brought a tenth of that harvest to the storehouse. If they had seed that was produced from their harvest, before they planted it, they brought a tenth of the seed to the storehouse so that the priest could take all of the things brought to the storehouse and administrate those so that they could then be given and used to help feed the poor, so that they could use, be used to create the sacrifice necessary for the atonement of the children of Israel. Now, this Old Testament storehouse was the equivalent of the New Testament temple, and the New Testament temple is the equivalent of the present day church. This is the place that you and I are sitting and the gathering of God's people together when we do gather. And so when we read in Malachi that the tenth was brought to the storehouse, it is the equivalent of those of you that tithe giving through the local church back to God. And so when we talk about giving and we talk about tithing, What we're talking about is that we are saying the place that I am rooted, the community in which I am doing fellowship and doing life and growing together in the faith that God is growing in me, that is the place that I give of my tenth. Now, you may give offerings and contributions to other things, other ministries, other parachurch organizations, just out of generosity to pay for meals for people and do nice things for people. And you can do that. We try to do that and model that in our own finances. But we give of the 10th into the storehouse. And the the crudest way possible to say it, and I even hate this language, and I can't believe I'm even using it, and I put it in my notes, but I'm gonna use it because I couldn't think of a better example, is if I went to Burger King, because I love Burger King. If I went to Burger King, and I said, hey, I wanna take a a number one, I'll take a Whopper combo, because that's heavenly, no onions, because I never get onions. I wanna take a number one, And they said, okay, that'll be $5.76. And I said, thank you. I'm going to take the food. I'm going to eat the food. But I don't really want to pay here. I'm actually more burdened for the McDonald's down the street. And so I'm going to eat this food, but I'm going to give them my money. That's the equivalent. Now, that was funnier than y'all gave it credit for. Come on. (laughs) That is the equivalent of being a part of a community of faith and taking the 10th and giving it somewhere else. Because what we're saying here, and remember, you're giving me the benefit of the doubt for a few minutes. What we're saying is, this is the place where ministry is provided to my family. This is the place where I benefit from the things that are done this is the place where people rejoice with me when we rejoice and mourn with we, me when we mourn. This is the place where my children are cared for. My students are, are given uh, life in faith and, and presented life in faith. This is the place where I find community and life groups. This is the place where I find purpose in serving. This is the place where I corporately worship together and are led in that way. This is the place where I am grounded in my faith. And yet I don't want to support it financially. That's a... That's a that's a really weird concept for me. And please understand, because you're giving me the benefit of the doubt, please understand my heart today. This is not me begging you for money. This is not me saying we, we need your money necessarily. That's not even what this is about. The Lord has been gracious. The Lord has provided. Since the very first month that this campus was in existence, enough money has come in every single month to pay for the ministry that goes out of this place. So this is not me saying to you, like, hey, you please, can, please, can you please, this is not like a telethon where I'm calling you because we can't meet the needs that we're trying. This is not the purpose. I want it for all of us to be a personal, introspective look at our heart. Say, am I grounded in the storehouse? Am I a part of the fellowship of the believers? Am I part of a place? And then what is my responsibility to that place? To give, to contribute, to be a part of the ministry that takes place there. So let's just Stop for a second and get practical for a moment before we conclude. You would say, okay, well, okay, I'll buy into that. Maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. But what does the church do with the money that I give? If I give $5 or $500, what does the church do? Let me just walk you through very practically what that looks like. If you give on a Sunday in the bucket, or you give digitally at the kiosk, or you text to give, or you give online, that money is counted. It's counted on site if you give on site. And if you throw 2 or 3 or 5 or 10 or 20 or 50 dollars in the offering, but in the bucket, but you don't put it in an envelope, then we don't know it came from you, but if you put it in an envelope or you give digitally where it's connected to your name and your record of some kind, then we also process that and give credit to you as giving. We don't check on your records. We're not following up on you all that kind of stuff, but we do have record so that at the end of the year we can give you a charitable contribution letter so that you can utilize it because the federal government has said that you get credit when you give to charities, and we are considered a nonprofit. And so when you give money through the local church, you get credit. So we attach it to your record so that at the end of the year, you get a letter that says, I gave this much to my church, and you can file that with your taxes. But beyond that, we count it. After it's counted, after it's processed, we deposit it in the bank. Just like when you get a paycheck at your house, you deposit it in the bank, then you pay your bills, right? And then you decide how you want to spend any discretionary funds. Well, what we've done at the beginning of each fiscal year, each financial year, which for us runs from October to September. So we are in the very beginning of a fiscal year for us as as an organization. We set out before that to create a ministry budget. And what it is, is it's us projecting what we're trusting God to be able to do in ministry for the coming year. We take all the fixed costs, which include this facility, uh, the personnel, the staff. We take all those fixed costs. We put them in one bucket. And then we take the ministries that we want to accomplish in missions and community outreach and children's and students and life groups and volunteers and all the various things that we want to try to accomplish in ministry. And we put it in another bucket. And we say, okay, what do we want to accomplish? And when you give, you have several options to give. And so we are accountable for the way that you give. On the tithe envelopes, the envelopes that are provided when you come in, or if you give online, you see multiple income-type streams that you can give into. If you designate your gift, if you say I want to give eight dollars to buy paper clips, we are required by law to buy eight dollars worth of paper clips with that money. If you say, okay, well I'm not I'm not interested in paper clips, so I want to give twenty five dollars to missions. We are required by law to take that $25 and send it to the missionaries that we support. If you see the income streams that are there that are marked tithes or church ministries, all of those funds that go in tithes and church ministries help to create that ministry budget that I talked about earlier. It's divvied up in two ways. This is why it's separate. When you give your tithes and they are marked tithes, we as a church tithe to the denomination of churches that we're a part of. We're a part of the Church of God denomination in Cleveland, Tennessee. And so as a part of our being in that denomination, when you mark your tithe, tithe, then we tithe 10% of that income marked tithe to the Church of God denomination. And we help to support the missions efforts around the world for this denomination of about 13 million members. We support the missionaries. We support church planting. We support various youth and children's ministries and other things that are involved in the denominational support. And so we tithe that. If you mark church ministries, whether that's your tithes or offerings, then all of that money stays within the local church to help to sponsor or to facilitate the ministry of the local church. All of that money money makes up our ministry budget. So we have built into our ministry budget that tithe amount that we believe we're going to pay out towards denominational support. But however you give in the income, we are bound then to use those funds to do ministry in the local church. And so when you give, that ministry budget is created by the pastoral staff with some oversight and accountability from five volunteer lay people, not paid staff members that are a part of our church at both campuses. Those five people help provide accountability to Pastor Mark, who's our senior pastor, to me, to our administrative pastor, and then ultimately to the rest of our pastoral staff. They look over the ministry budget. They make sure that every penny that comes in matches every penny that goes out. So there's accountability there. Then we also have an outside agency that comes in quarterly and audits us to make sure that our books are in order, to make sure that everything that's come in matches everything that's going out, and it's going out in the places that we projected we wanted to do ministry in this coming year. And then at the end of the year, an agency comes in and audits the entire year to make sure that we have done everything we said we were going to do with the funds that you give. And I tell you all that because I want you to know that I know people in churches and places and parachurch organizations in some places around the country or around the world have misused money, and I know that, and I'm sorry. I also know that there are hundreds and thousands of churches and organizations that have done exactly what they were supposed to do with the money that was given to and through them. And so for those that cause a black eye in this, I want you to know and I want to commit to you today Just like I did at 8.30 and just like I will at 11.30. That as long as I am in the position that I am in, I commit to you to do my very best and to work within the accountability of the structure that's been created to honor your faithfulness in giving. That every single time you give a penny towards anything related to the ministries of this church or the ministries around the world, we will honor that and use it in the way that God has called us as a church to do it and the way that you've designated those funds to be given. And that's what we want to do because we believe when you honor God by bringing your tithe to the storehouse that we are ultimately accountable and responsible to use those funds to do ministry, to use those funds to facilitate life change in people. God could do that work on his own and he does. Individual people So many different times where he chooses to say, I want to use you and I want to use the trust that you have in me through your personal finance to bring about life change in student ministry at Canton Church. On Wednesday nights when they gather together, 25, 30, 35 students sometimes coming together to worship God and to eat pizza and to play video games and to get into a small group of middle school girls or high school guys or whatever the group is and to talk about what's going on in their life and how to contextualize what they're learning about Jesus Christ in these classrooms of children or missionaries around the world or in community and life groups. We want to do ministry, and we want you to be a part of helping to accomplish the ministry that God is calling us to here. But this is not because we need your money. We believe that God will provide because God, wherever he guides us, he provides for us. And so over the last 12 months, You and I together have given money and we've planted churches and we have supported missionaries and we have invested in children and we have invested in students and we have invested in life groups and we have created worship opportunities and we've gone out of the community to minister and meet their needs and we believe it's only the beginning of what God has done and what God will do. But this is not just an Old Testament principle. This is not just a minor prophet challenging us with some random idea. It's also in the New Testament. Jesus himself, in the book of Matthew chapter 23, is talking, he's teaching about this idea of the tithe, and he's challenging his followers, he's challenging the religious people in his life and the way that they would live, says this in Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He's challenging them. Evidently, he was a part of our superhero series last, the last couple of weeks where he says, listen, justice and mercy and faithfulness, those are important things. But he's not saying you should do those and ignore the tithe that you've been given. He said, no, you should continue to tithe, but you should also be about justice and mercy and faithfulness. There is a complement of things that with your lives you should be producing out of obedience to God, He was challenging them to honor and to trust him more because that's really what tithing is. Tithing is a trust issue. Tithing is not a money issue. I know some people say, well, if I got more money, I would give to the church. I think more money just makes you more of who you already are. Tithing is a trust issue. I know some of you might be listening. You go, well, you don't understand the season that I'm in. I, I agree. I don't know the season that you're in. And here's the thing. It is not a money amount I don't even really believe it's a percentage amount. And here's what I mean by that. I think it's a heart issue. I think it's less about 10% or 8% or 12% or 4% as it is, do you trust God as your provider to be obedient toward him in giving? Pastor Adrian Rogers said this, a faith that hasn't reached your wallet probably hasn't reached your heart. A faith that hasn't reached your wallet probably hasn't reached your heart. And when you hear that, you probably, like me, kind of raise up and go, well, that's not true. I, I wish you could understand. And I w-. But if we really search deep down into our heart, if we can't trust God with our finances, if we're truthful with ourselves, it probably means there's places in our heart that we're not trusting God yet. A faith that hasn't completely taken hold of our heart isn't borne out in giving a lot of times. And and as I looked through these passages and and really was looking to see what God might be saying to us, I realize that you probably have even more questions than maybe you had when you came in. So let me just set your mind at ease about a couple of things. Will I go to hell if I don't tithe? I don't think so. I, I can't prove it, I can't justify in Scripture that you would go to hell, that you would spend an eternity apart from God for not tithing, for not giving a tenth, for not giving out of your financial resources. But if the question were phrased this way, am I being disobedient if I don't tithe, if I don't give, if I don't honor God in that way? I think the answer is probably yes. Because that seems to be the challenge that he keeps coming back to. That it's, it's a heart issue. It's not about a money amount. It's not about a percentage amount. Jesus was standing with his disciples one day as the widow came and they were watching as certain people were coming in and dropping A lot of money and hundreds of dollars, maybe even thousands of dollars in the context of that economy. And this widow walks up and she drops two pennies in the offering plate. And Jesus says to the disciples, he said, listen, they gave out of their abundance. They gave in such a way that it didn't hurt them. It didn't, they didn't feel it. But she gave all that she had. Here's the reality The the greatest commandment is that we would love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength and 10% of our resource. That's all He's asking for. And I want you to hear my heart and remember, you're still giving me the benefit of the doubt for another two or three minutes. This is not about me asking you for more money. This is about me trying to challenge your heart, challenge my heart. Do I trust God enough to trust him with my finances? You know, we read in Malachi that he said, listen, test me. Test me and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings upon you. And when I read that for the first time, when I was about 13, 14 years old, I thought, man, does that mean he's a genie? Does he grant my wishes? Does he bless me when I do good things and curse me when I do bad things? He's not a genie. I think that speaks to the larger principle here that this is a matter of obedience. He blesses obedience. He has to punish disobedience. That the idea of trusting him and giving in financial ways means that he will honor that. And I can promise you, I can tell you that in our lives, when we honor God with our finances, we find blessing from God. It doesn't always equate to more money. But there have been times where we, we made a difficult decision and we said, God, we're going to honor you in this way. We're going to give first, even though the money's tight. The money's not there to do all the other things we want to do or even need to do, but God, we're going to trust you. And I struggle with that a lot of times. I want to be a provider for my family. I want to take care of my family. I don't want there to be lack. And so I struggle sometimes if I say, God, in those moments of surrender, in those moments of trust, in those moments of obedience, when I say, God, we're trusting you with this, and I click submit on online giving, or we write a check and give it, or whatever it is that we're giving in that way, I can't tell you the number of times that God has shown himself faithful. And we get a check in the mail for a rebate for something we bought six months ago, and it just happened to land in the mailbox this week. Or somebody walks up and gives you one of those incredible handshakes where there's money in it. You ever gotten one of those? You're like, thank you, Jesus, right? They walk up and they go, listen, this this may offend you, and, and I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just trying to honor what I think God's telling me. And they they shake your hand or they hug your neck, and you look down and you you just go, God, how did they know? How did they know? Because He knows. It's not a money issue. It's a heart issue. Do I trust God to be my provider? Or do I believe that I'm my provider? That I can work hard enough, work fast enough, work smart enough to earn a lot more money? Or do I say, God, I believe that it all comes from you anyway. And so I'm going to honor you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be obedient. And I'm asking you to bless this obedience. Maybe it's financially or maybe it's something else. But I'm asking you to bless this obedience because I'm trusting you. All you are accountable for is being obedient. Let God worry about the rest of it. Let's pray together today. God, I thank you that we can talk about hard things in church. I thank you for the grace today to talk about hard things. I thank you for the people that are in this room who have already made that decision to trust you with their finances to honor you in that way. God, I pray your blessings over them because you promise us that you do that. I also pray for those in the room who struggle with this idea. Maybe it's out of hurt. Maybe it's out of mistrust of people and how they handle money and churches and parachurch organizations. But God, I pray that you would help them to understand that they are only accountable to be obedient to you and that God, you would judge those who mishandle those things. And so God, I pray for us as a church that we would always be honorable, that we would always be accountable, that we would always honor the intent of the gift to do ministry and to expand your kingdom. Because God, I believe that's what you've called us to do. I thank you for the incredible stories that have already been accomplished in the nearly five years that this place has been in existence. As people were faithful to give and all that's been done and lives that have been transformed as ministry goes forth out of this place. And God, today I pray for those who have not yet become a part of that financially, that they would join in and be a part of what you're writing, what you're doing here. It's not about an amount. It's not about a percentage. It is about the heart and working towards a greater trust and dependence on you. Thank you, God, that we can trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com/cantonchurchga.